Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thank you for joining us here at BenaiShalom.tv and Lion and Lamb Ministries. My name is Ephraim Judah, and thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week where we do our worship, we do our kiddush and blessings, and we teach the Torah. A couple of announcements that we have here at the ministry. Um, the, we're looking forward to 2019. We're about to turn the year over, and uh, we have registration open for our Shavuot conference uh, that will be held in Dallas, Texas this year. Um, you can go to ShavuotEvent.com and register your family. We have an early registration discount that is going on right now that ends on December 31st. So if you're looking to join us there in the uh, North Dallas, Dallas, Texas area, um, get registered and uh, you'll get a little bit of a discount if you can uh, plan to join us here before the end of the year. Right as the year turns on New Year's Day, we open up our registration for Camp Yeshua, our Messianic Youth Summer Camp. I know a lot of the youth are chomping at the bit, and we're looking forward to another great uh, year with all of the youth. Um, we're also always looking for staff and parents who are always uh, make themselves available to help to teach the youth, and it's a wonderful time uh, that we do in the summer. You can go to CampYeshua.com and uh, plan on registering for that uh, there right as we turn the year over on New Year's Day. Also in January, that's when we, it's the time of year that we like to renew our Yavo subscriptions. Yavo, our monthly magazine, it's a free monthly publication. Subscription to it is, for, is free. We send it each and every month. Um, but if you've been receiving it, we ask that you reply to us and tell us that you'd like to continue to receive it so that we can do, be the best stewards of the Lord's resources that we can and make sure we're not sending it to anybody that isn't reading it or doesn't want to receive it. Um, so if you would plan on renewing your subscription in January uh, for the Yavo monthly magazine, and we would look forward to continue to send that out each and every month uh, to minister to you with the articles, also ads for new teachings and various things like that. So it's one of the ways that we uh, minister to you on a monthly basis here at Lion and Lamb Ministries. That's our announcements for this week. Once again, thank you for joining us. And now let us sanctify the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. Hello, hey, do my like how I long. 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pri Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. <laughs> Husbands, let's bless our wives. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach. Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michumocha. Michamocha Baelim Adonai Michamocha Nedahar Bachudesh Nohora Techilot Ohosefet 
forsake you, O Lord, among the gods. Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat, la'asot et ha-shabbat l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei ovayom b'nei Yisrael otit le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aretz v'yom ha-shavii shabbat v'yinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha, Bechol Levavcha, Ufkol Nashicha, Uvechol Meodecha. Veheyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechime zavcha hayom alevavecha. Veshinantam lavenecha, vedepardabam beshiftecha, beyetecha, uvlechtecha, vederech ushakbika, uvkumika. Ukeshatam la ota yadecha, veheyu la totavolt binenecha, uketatam la mozuzo betecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Spirit, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. I'll pour out my spirit. My servants will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens and signs in the earth below. Oh, in that day. Yes, in that day. In that day. Yes, in that day.
Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, to the end of chapter 47. Hold your verse, uh, hold your finger at verse uh, 28 of chapter 47. As you open the scripture, as always, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Bachabanu Mekol Hamim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Vayahi, which means and he lived. It comes from verse 28 where it says, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. Uh, if you go back one verse, it then calls him Israel in verse 27. It says, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Gothen, uh, Goshen. And so this is the story as we are now coming to the very end of the book of Genesis. Our portion begins here and extends all the way through Genesis chapter 50 to the end of the book. Next week we will open up Exodus as our story shifts dramatically now uh, when we look to the stories of Moses and the deliverance of the children of Israel. But for now, let us talk about the sort of the wrap up, the, the final thing that is going on here in the life of Jacob, in the life of Joseph, and these final blessings. 
blessings that Jacob pours out upon his family members. Something I wanted to point out uh, in our previous portion, I've, I've tied many of our uh, previous tour portions for the last couple of weeks into prophecy. Things that will happen in the future, such as the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah to the Jewish people, in the same way Joseph was revealed to his brethren. And then also how there is a great famine for seven years, and they are going to Egypt, which means, which in the Hebrew is Mitzrayim, which means trials and tribulations. And so you can relate this also again to end time prophecy, how there will be a great deliverance of Israel through trials and tribulations at the end of the age. And that Jacob, or Joseph rather, he was able to preserve his family's life, the family of Jacob of Israel. All of his brothers and his father was able to bring them down to Egypt in the midst of a worldwide famine and he took a piece of land, the land of Goshen, that was set aside for them so that they might live, so that they might be preserved in the land of Egypt through trials and tribulations. There's a greater end time prophecy we believe as well is that the Messiah himself, the Lord, has set aside a place in the wilderness so that Israel might be delivered through trials and tribulations at the end of the age, during the Great Tribulation, as it's described in Revelation, that it's like that there is a place in the wilderness that the woman is in Revelation is preserved in the wilderness. And there's a parallel there to the fact that the Messiah-like figure in our story here, Joseph, sets aside a piece of land so that Israel might be preserved. This entire story of the book of Genesis, at here toward the end, very much ties to end time prophecy where the Messiah will come, will deliver all Israel from uh, trials, tribulations, from famine, from all of these things. And then in the end, they will be blessed and Israel shall live. Israel shall live on. That's the title of our Torah portion here about how Israel is, is lives and is preserved even through the course of a worldwide famine. The uh, Hebrew word there, vayahi, uh, uh, actually is the Hebrew word haya, which means uh, to live, to, to be alive. It's the uh, verb of living. And so it's kind of interesting when you're, if you're learning Hebrew and you don't know it very well, you hear this word haya, and immediately you start thinking of, you know, martial arts that somebody might say. Haya as you're attacking your opponent, uh, maybe in a martial arts fight. So what you're really saying in the Hebrew is you're saying live, live, a little bit of an oxymoron moron as you're striking your opponent and saying, uttering such words. You may have also known, uh, know of another Hebrew word, just chai, which means life, which is a chet and a yod, and uh, you've probably seen it on jewelry, and that's kind of the, the deeper root of this Hebrew word, chai, just the chet and the yod. And so we're talking about Jacob living, being alive, that it's like that he was preserved through famine and he is now made alive. That Hebrew word chaya also is used when you are reviving somebody. Now, the um, verb of living or becoming alive or having a renewal of one's life as if to be revived, that is also what this Hebrew word represents as well in other parts of Scripture. So you could say that Jacob, his life, when he came down to Egypt, that he was revived in coming down to Egypt, which fits perfectly with the narrative 
where he was a man which, as he was speaking, thinking that he might, he had lost his son Joseph, thinking, fearing for the life of his son Benjamin, that he was a man who was almost at the end of his life, that he talked of his gray hair being brought down in sorrow to the grave, and that he was a man who was at the end of his life. He's brought to Egypt and he lives for another 17 years. He is made alive again. He is revived in his life. The same story goes for Joseph, talking about this, this story of redemption where someone is uh, just at the end of their rope. They're in prison. They're, they're a prisoner. They've been judged. They're at basically the lowest of low, and then they are made alive again, revived to a place and a position of power in the same way that Joseph was. So there's a great concept that's going on here, how what was once thought was dead is now brought to life again. That's a great, uh, great message that we can share that is basically what this Torah portion is all about, about how Israel is alive. It's alive, it's alive and well, and it's ready to grow, it's ready to move on. And this whole rest of Torah talks about how this family and from the loins of Jacob, Israel, the entire nation is grown and is made out of him, and that is the... Uh, that's the fulfillment of the promise of the covenant that was made with Abraham, that his descendants would be as the stars of the sky, and no man can number, no man can count, and that it talks about in the story is of God's faithfulness, that he preserves life, that he causes Israel and this family to live, so that then there might be a multitude of nations that come forth from Israel, and the fulfillment of the promise that through him, his seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's a great, wonderful story as, the, as we're coming to the end here of the stories of Jacob and of Joseph. It says here, um, let me go ahead and read. After he lives, um, uh, let me pick up in the middle of verse 28 of uh, chapter 47. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now I have found favor in your sight. Please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, Joseph said, I will do as you have said. And then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself at the head of his bed to Joseph. A couple of things are going on here. Jacob knows that they are not going to live their life and the, his descendants are not going to live in the land of Egypt. That wasn't a part of the promised land. The promised land was to be from the river in Egypt to the Nile River all the way to the river Euphrates and that he knows the land of Canaan is a part of the promised land. Jacob knows he's not supposed to stay here forever. So he asks his son to have him buried at Machpelah with his fathers. And that is exactly what happens when they uh, when he does pass away. Jo- Joseph gathers him up and gathers a whole company of people they take his body, Jacob's body, back to Machpelah, up to the land of Canaan. And there's a great mourning that takes place because of the greatness that was this man, Jacob, and who also named Israel. So he knows he's not supposed to stay here in the land of Egypt. So he has him swear to him that he might take his bones up out of this place. Also interesting here where it says Israel bowed himself at the head of his bed. He bowed himself to Joseph. One, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of the dreams of Joseph where he had a dream that even his father would bow to him. 
And that that had yet to be fulfilled in any of the other parts of our scripture. But here it is. That original dream comes from Genesis 37. He was prophesied that he would bow to his son Joseph. And sure enough, that is exactly what he did. Also, it's interesting here, you look in the Hebrew uh, where it says that he bowed at the head of his bed. That's the Hebrew word mitah, which is a mem, a tet, and a hay. It's also the same Hebrew word with a slightly different pronunciation of mate, which means tribe or staff. You'll find in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verse 21, where it says that by faith, Israel or Jacob bowed on his staff and blessed his children. Well, here in our uh, Torah portion here, it says he bowed at his bed. He, the New Testament says he bowed on his staff. So clearly there's errors throughout the scripture. No, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with the differences in the Hebrew language in that the same word can sometimes represent the same thing. And so you see Jacob bowing on his, uh, leaning on his staff. He was old in age. You can kind of picture this in your head. That Was he leaning on his bed? Was he leaning on his staff? Well, he was old in age. He was probably leaning on something. But it's also interesting if you think spiritually beyond that, that he is leaning upon the tribes, his sons, that his family might live, that it's now through them that the covenant will be fulfilled. And so that there is a connection, there's a nearness between Jacob and his sons and the tribes that would come from him. So it's just kind of an interesting thing if you, when you look at that word. Now in chapter 48, we have a very interesting passage here where some translations and some commentators might say that this is the time in the story in which Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. Very interesting story here. Let me start reading here and let's draw out some of the very interesting things that are taking place here in this passage as it appears that Jacob is pouring out a blessing upon his grandchildren in a very interesting way. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget, after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padam, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, and there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given to me in this place. And he said, bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him. He kissed them and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them beside his knees and bowed down with 
with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and the left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Let me stop there. Here we have the story of... Jacob saying he would like to see the fulfillment of the blessings that God had given to him. The fulfillment of the covenant that he made going all the way back to Luz when he appeared before him and also appeared to him at Bethel. And God had given Israel these promises of what he would see. And surely this is now the fulfillment of those things. It's interesting here that he says, and he's speaking, and he says, I will now bless your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. But as soon as Joseph brings them in before him, he says this very thing. He asks, who are these? Why would he say, who are these, when he simply knew that he was, that's who he was going to bless? He knew he was going to bless the two sons of Joseph. Why does he say, who are these? I believe that Israel is testing his son Joseph at this time. Because he is now saying, I'm going to bless them and I'm going to give them an inheritance that would make them equal to you and to your brothers because they are going to be mine as much as Reuben and Simeon are mine. What Joseph should have said, if he truly knew and was following what was going on, who are these? These are Ephraim and Manasseh, sons of Israel, should have been the correct answer, knowing this is where the blessing that's taking place. But Joseph, he's not understanding exactly what's going on here. Him still being showing a little bit of his youthfulness, not understanding these things. He tries to help his dad out a little bit here. He tries to bring the oldest in so that he might land on the, the right hand of Israel so that all Israel had to do with his eyes being dimmed to just plop his hands on two sons and that it would be the correct hand. But Israel knew what he was doing and he instead, knowingly moving his hands, he crossed his hands and his right hand came upon Ephraim, the youngest, and his left hand came upon Manasseh, the oldest. And he gives them this blessing. It's very interesting also here at verse 15 where he says, and he blessed Joseph saying, wait a minute, I thought he was blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. But no, this is the way in which he is pouring out a blessing upon Joseph. It's upon Joseph's seed that he is saying this blessing. Now, continuing on, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all of my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. It's very interesting here. You read on. It says, Now when Joseph saw that his father has laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took a hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Joseph is going to his dad. His dad's, you know, kind of going a little crazy in his old age. And dad, you're doing it wrong. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. He's not giving the respect that he knows that Jacob knows exactly what he's doing. Because this is a fulfillment, this is a promise that came from God. His father refused and he said, I know my son, I know. I know what I'm doing. You're young, you're still learning these things. But God has given me this promise. Let me now do what the Lord is leading me to do. He also shall come a people, he's talking about Manasseh, and saying, yes, a great people will come from him. 
and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. We do the same blessing with our families in our, uh, in our kiddush, in our family blessings, that this is the same blessing that we pour out upon our children, that they might be fruitful and multiply, that a great nation's, nation and a company of nations will come from them as well. This is going directly back to the blessing that was given to Jacob by God. If we go back to Genesis chapter 35... Very interesting if we read closely the words that God is speaking to Jacob here when he confirms his covenant back at Bethel. Chapter 35 at verse 11, God said to him, to Jacob, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you. I give you this land. You see this language here that God is speaking, a nation and a company of nations, in that order. See, Jacob had already had a bunch of sons up to this point. How is he going to distinguish between the twelve sons? Which one is the company of nations? Which one is a nation going to come from? Through whom is this is this fulfillment of this prophecy. There's going to be these two things, these two distinct things, a nation and a company of nations. And he sees the fulfillment in the sons of Joseph, in Manasseh and Ephraim. And in that order, Manasseh was the firstborn. So from him will come a nation. But from Ephraim, a company of nations. And that's what he sees here. And this is, and it's a fulfillment also of Ephraim's name, that I happen to know what the meaning of the name is, means fruitful and multiply. And that this is something that is something that is going to be greater, and it will be throughout history that the tribe of Ephraim will be one of the largest tribes in all of Israel, that through him, through the tribes of Ephraim and of the tribe of Manasseh, that they will grow into a great company, and that they will form the entire, mostly the entire northern kingdom, of Israel, this is after they conquer the land, after they, uh, through uh, Joseph and the judges and all of these things, when they go and they have all this land, there is more in those tribes than in almost all the other tribes, save for the tribe of Judah. So he knows that through all of this, this is the fulfillment of this blessing that through him will come a multitude of nations. It's also interesting there, um, nations in the Hebrew means goyim, which you might have heard also before because sometimes that's the same word or the, that's the plural of goy, which is sometimes used for Gentile. And it's interesting that if we now look and take a broad view of all of history, this northern kingdom, made up mostly of Ephraim and Manasseh, they're scattered into the nations. That comes through the prophet Hosea. And that he was prophesied that they're going to be scattered all in, into all the nations. And they'll become fruitful and multiply in the nations where they have been scattered. Into all the nations. They'll be assimilated in the, into the nations. In fact, all of these descendants of these tribes, they will go into the nations and they will become goyim. They will become like the nations and they will be like Gentiles. And even to this day, if you go to anyone who is Jewish, what they are is their direct descendants from the southern kingdom, from the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and also a chunk of Simeon that was assimilated into the uh, kingdom of Judah. <coughs> they consider themselves to be Jewish and everyone else is a goy, is a Gentile of the nations. When in truth of fact, there is an entire multitude of their brethren 
distant cousins that are all related that have been scattered into the nations. So these people that they call the Goyim are truly actually descendants of Israel. In truth of fact, that is what Ephraim and Manasseh will represent going on into the nations. It's fascinating here that if that is the future in the history of Ephraim and Manasseh, then how amazing is this is the blessing that Israel puts upon them. Because he's giving them a blessing that is equivalent to the firstborn blessing. That's what he's doing. The firstborn blessing was not put upon Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. No, it's put upon Ephraim. It's put upon the second-born son of his 11th son, Joseph. And it says specifically in Jeremiah 31 at verse 9, it says, Ephraim is my firstborn. This is the, the, the greater blessing that Israel, that might go into the nations and be this number that's innumerable that no man can count, the blessing is upon Ephraim, which is exactly how we are today. How can anyone count the, numer- the, the people of the tribes of the tribe of Ephraim scattered into the nations? Can any man number who that is up to this point in the world today? No. We can't. We do know the size of Judaism, Judaism being one of the smaller number or smaller religions throughout all the world, and there's actually not that many of them when you look at the grand scheme of the world. But the blessing that is upon Ephraim is really this blessing that it is a number that no man can count. And that is the destiny of the tribe of Ephraim being scattered into the nations. Now, this whole act of adopting him, be treating him, Ephraim and Manasseh, as sons of Israel. It's not just about adopting them. It's like, yes, they're already grandchildren. Yes, they already belong to Jacob. But it's to put the blessing upon them so that they might be equal heirs to the inheritance that comes through the line of Israel. The New Testament and other parts of Scripture are absolutely chock full of this same type of language, the same type of blessing that is supposed to be put upon these people that are scattered into the nations. If you go with me to Romans, to chapter 8, starting at verse 12, we're talking about this phrase that, that is often this, um, this phrase that we often hear when we talk about sons of the living God. But do we truly know what that means? Do we truly know what is going on there? So if we go to Romans 8, at verse 12, let me read this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of the Lord, these are sons of God. Sons of God, as if we have been adopted by God, as if we have the inheritance that comes from God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That is this blessing of being children of God, sons of God. And this is why the Messiah's testimony had to go into the nations. This is the whole purpose, was to go and identify who are the sons of God. 
Now, if you were to say who's the likely candidates, who are the sons of God, the ones who are moved to the Spirit, how about God's chosen people? How about Israel? How about the ones he started with back in the Old Testament that we know have been scattered into the nations? That's why his testimony was to go into the nations and to show people who are the sons of God, who are sons of the promise, heirs to the kingdom, who have received that blessing and are adopted into the family. This is the example that Jacob is setting with Ephraim and Manasseh in our Torah portion. This is the understanding that we have. If we also go to Galatians uh, chapter 4, where we are, um, where it, it talks about this exact same language. Now, I know people, a lot of people use Galatians to talk about how, you know, Israel is now done away with, the law is done away with. But if we truly understand what Galatians is talking about, he's, Paul is speaking, again, more so back to all of these promises. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Same language He's using in Romans. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if son, then an heir of God through Christ. He's speaking the same thing, not only to the Romans, but to the Galatians. This is what Paul is trying to teach the people. This is the word that's going out into the nations. And this is why we are needing to find those who are scattered into the nations and identify who are the sons of God. Or, more specifically, who are the sons of Israel that might be scattered into the nations. I talked about Hosea. I talked about how Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And that through the naming of Hosea's children was this prophecy about how the northern kingdom was going to get scattered into Assyrian captivity. In Hosea chapter 1... At verse 9, we have the description of Hosea and his son being named. Let me go ahead and read uh, verse 9 of Hosea 1. God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. See, this was the judgment upon that northern kingdom, upon the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. When they're scattered into the nations, they will become like not a people. That they will not know where they came from. They will not know the God of their forefathers. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall also be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Scattered into the nations, not knowing where you came from. Basically a people without a nation, without knowledge of where, who you are or where you came from. Sounds kind of like America today, where we have, we have all kinds of people here living here, and they really can't trace their lineage back very far. Now we do have all the new uh, genealogy tests and 23andMe and Ancestry, where you can spit into a tube or swab your cheek, and you can kind of figure out this genetic code and how far back it goes and what you might con- connect to. For the most part, it's this giant smorgasbord of all kinds of different percentages of people, and you can kind of get a sense or an idea of maybe where you're coming from, but really it's this, it's this multitude of nations that kind of make us up and make us who we are. It's interesting that it's not about being linked directly back to something, but it's finding your identity wherever you are. Honestly, those, those, uh, those tests that come back, they don't really tell you who you are. 
they can kind of be an encouragement, maybe something coincidence, maybe something you might find. But really, what more can you do with that information? So you came from there. What does that mean? So that means you have an ancestry rights to a piece of land that's on another side of the world? Well, no, not really. You can't really identify yourself that way or use that as evidence. So that identity thing is kind of superficial. It's kind of on the surface. The true identity that goes that you might hear in the nations where you find yourself in is the identity where somebody preaching the word of the Lord comes and says to you, you're a son of the living God. You are an heir to the blessings that he gives, the creator of heaven and earth, you know, how we got here in the first place. And all the promises and the things and the miracles that he did with his chosen people, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph. And that y'all, and, and, oh, you mean that Israel that got scattered in the nations and broke the covenant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they broke the covenant. They were scattered in the nations. But the God is faithful and he will not forget them. And now the word is going into the nations to bring them back, to draw them back out. And what is that word? What is that testimony? Paul was doing it in the first century. And he said, you are sons of the living God. For somebody who doesn't know who their father is, does not know how they got there, feels like you're, you're lost and you have no family, that is the greatest word that anyone could ever receive. That the creator of heaven and earth is my heavenly father. That all blessings that come from him, heavenly blessings, heavenly treasure, is my inheritance. It doesn't matter what my earthly father provides for me. It doesn't matter what that inheritance is. What matters is being blessed of God and being in covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Ephraim and Manasseh were being blessed, they were sons of Joseph. Joseph was the viceroy of Egypt. He was basically the leader of the known world. What possible physical blessing or earthly treasure could Jacob give to these sons who are basically the sons of the ruler of the world? Nothing. Joseph had it all. What, what inheritance could he put upon Joseph that to give Joseph to them that he might pass down to his sons? Well, nothing of earthly origins. He had it all. In the land of Egypt. Every bit of gold or every bit of land, every bit of anything that everybody sold so that they could get some bread during the years of famine. He had it all. However, what Jacob also had was he had the covenant with God. And he had the blessing and the promises that came through his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. And he had that promise and that blessing and that inheritance far outweighs any earthly treasure. And that is the inheritance. And by adopting them as his sons. How would you like to be that? That you're a son of the viceroy of Egypt. But then you got this kind of old guy from Canaan that, you know, he's not even here. Yet he wants to adopt you. You might sit there and think like, well, what, what, what good is that? That I would be considered his son when I'm the son of the ruler of the world. Well... When it, what obviously what that man has to offer to you and what the inheritance that comes by being a part of that family and a son of that man is possibly greater than what you have as a son of a ruler, one with great riches and treasures on earth. And that's why this adoption took place. It's interesting here that, that this is again is a fulfillment of the naming of the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh. If you remember why Joseph named the sons. He, he named them. He, he named Manasseh because he had forgotten the trials and the troubles that he had faced in his household. And so Manasseh's name means forget. Not necessarily the greatest meaning of a name. If there's somebody named Manasseh, and it's like, how would you like for the meaning of your name to be forget? Nah, not the greatest meaning. Ephraim's much better because it's be fruitful and multiply. 
And that this is again the fulfillment of that, that these things that they might be fulfilled through the promise that comes through Israel and through Jacob. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. Again, it's fascinating that this is this prophecy. It all starts, it's back here in Genesis, but it has so much to say about the world we live in today and how Israel is scattered into the nations. If you also remember at the end of Deuteronomy, in the second song of Moses, there's a line in there talking about being provoked to jealousy by a people that is not a nation. That is the description. Anytime that you see something in the scripture where it says those who are not a nation, that is a prophecy of the northern kingdom. That's talking of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh who are scattered into the nations. And that this also ties into how this whole relationship will take place at the end of the age where we have a people... We have a nation who are of the Gentiles, of the nations, that they don't have the history that, say, Jews have within their, they know where they came from, they know their lineage, yet there will be a, come a time in which there will be a people of God who will provoke Judah to jealousy. And that if they are almost made jealous by a people who is not even yet a people, who is not a nation because they've been scattered into the nations. Also, another thing, when you talk about the multitude of nations, this also connects directly to the phrase that you find in the New Testament as well that is called the fullness of the Gentiles. That we're looking forward to the time that God, when will God return? When will God do these things? It will be in the fullness of the Gentiles. When the nations who of the world, when they have been filled up full, full of what? Full of just more people, full of sin, full of idolatry? No. How about when the nations are full of descendants of Israel, descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the other tribes, that when that fullness comes in, that is then when the Messiah will come. So, there's a connection there to multitude of nations, to the term fullness of the Gentiles. And again, this is all, uh, every, you now, once you see it now, every time you go reread the New Testament and listen to the words of Paul, every time he's talking about being sons of the living God, waiting until the fullness of the Gentiles, waiting until those who are in the nations are then brought back and brought near to Israel, are brought near to God. That's the fulfillment of all of these things going all the way back to this blessing of Jacob upon Ephraim and Manasseh. Our Torah portion continues on in Genesis chapter 49. Now, this is another thing that ties greatly into prophecy as well. Many people have done studies on this. This is where Jacob will now bless. He's now blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. But he will also bless all of his other sons. And there's a specific blessing that is upon all of these other sons of Jacob. Chapter 49 begins with Jacob saying, called his sons and says, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. He's already spelling this out for you. This is going to be, this is a prophecy that is upon the sons of Israel. This blessing, these blessings also connect to the blessings at the end of the Torah cycle, at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses will pour a blessing upon all the tribes as well. And there's a cross-reference study that we can get into, maybe one of these years, that are directly between those two passages of Scripture and the types of blessings that were poured upon each of these sons. It's also interesting here, where he says, gather together, join together. All of the household of Israel must join back together before these blessings can be given. That's a prophecy that in the last days, that all of Israel will be joined back together, that the whole house of Israel will be joined together again. This connects, obviously, to Ezekiel chapter 37. This connects to all these other prophecies. Again, it all begins here in Genesis. 
Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. There's interesting things when you see the language where you identify. Sometimes he identifies himself as Jacob. Sometimes he identifies himself as Israel. People have speculated, what's the difference? When he identifies himself as Jacob, is he talking about the maybe the physical heritage of being a descendant of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And when he's talking about Israel, are we talking about the greater commonwealth of Israel or something that is more in the last days? We don't know exactly what that means, but it's always fascinating. Every time you see perhaps the same phrase, but in one verse it identifies as Jacob, and in another verse it identifies as Israel. He then proceeds to give these blessings. Also one of the things also interesting about that word gather. That is the Hebrew word asaf, which means to gather. That's also the root word of Yosef, which is Joseph's name. It's very interesting that now Joseph is finally seeing the fullest fulfillment of his name, Ephraim was to be fruitful and multiply. The fulfillment of Joseph's name was to gather, gather the people, gather his brethren, gather the grain that in Egypt that it might be preserved and that life might be given. Joseph is truly fulfilling the meaning of his name and that continues on even to the latter days in the way that it's describing gather together. The first blessing goes upon Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. You might, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water, you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. And he went up to my couch. This is interesting because some of these blessings are not necessarily good things. It starts initially with talking about Reuben being the firstborn, being the beginning of strength, Excellency of dignity, excellency of power, but I know what you did. The mistake they made, and I've described before, Reuben was not on Israel's best side in a lot of other things and a lot of other circumstances because he defiled the couch and he slept with one of the concubines of Jacob. It's, I've always been curious if the, he knew, Jacob knew of this, but he didn't address it with Reuben. I've always been curious if this was the first time Reuben heard that his father knew. I always thought that that would be interesting. It's kind of this justice where it's like there's never any instance to know that if Israel had addressed this with Reuben, obviously he had maybe some, some issues, but maybe Reuben didn't know why, didn't know if he had been caught, didn't know if he had knew. Uh, here, clearly, Jacob is telling Reuben, I know what you did. And that is kind of, it's, it starts with a blessing, but then the truth comes out of what Israel knew and what he thought of Reuben. Now, verse 5, when it comes to Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. <coughs> this goes back to the story of where Simeon and Levi slew the entire, the, the prince of Shechem and the entire city of Shechem. This was in the story, the incident that happened with Dina. And that this is something that Jacob was not pleased with these sons as well. And this is now coming back out as well. Now he does say this, he's cursed be the anger. Cursed is their wrath. He's not cursing them, but the spirit by which they carry and the things that they do, that is something that he is, that he is displeased with. 
And it's very interesting when he says, I'll divide them and Jacob scatter them in Israel. Very fascinating of those two tribes from those men. Levi became the priesthood. Levi was not given any inheritance of land in the land of Canaan or the promised land when they crossed over at the end of the Exodus. They were scattered amongst the nations. There was Levitical cities, but they were scattered. And Simeon, Simeon was this very interesting pocket of territory that was completely surrounded by Judah. If you find a map where people will speculate and, and try to draw the map of where these territories were, Simeon was a small piece of territory that was completely surrounded by Judah. They were basically assimilated in into another kingdom that really, when you put it that way, it's almost like they didn't have any land of their own. They were scattered amongst the tribe of Judah. <coughs> so we see the fulfillment of these of this curse that's being put upon them by their father Jacob. Now, as we go to Judah, things the vo- the the way that Jacob communicates changes a little bit. He says, "Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you." Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not be depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And him shall be the obedience of the people. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments with wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. What an amazing blessing that is put upon Judah. He shall be praised from among his brothers. This is obviously showing Jacob's uh, pleasure with the fact that Judah, he was the one who stood up, who learned what it meant to be as if he was the firstborn. He was the one who took responsibility for various things. He's the one who took responsibility for Benjamin when he was feared that Benjamin would lose his life. And the praise is put upon Judah. And this prophecy that he shall be the one that holds the scepter. This is a prophecy, obviously, that it is King David and it's the kings that come from the tribe of Judah is the ones who become the kings of all Israel later on in our story and into the ancient Near East. And he says this, that a lawgiver shall be between his feet until Shiloh comes. We never understand truly what Shiloh means. Now, many people have always connected it to that this is a representation of the Messiah. Literally, it means like tranquility. But they believe that it's like that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until... The, until the Messiah comes. That lends to a lot of various discussions when we talk about, well, Judaism doesn't think that the Messiah has come yet. So they believe that they are the rulers of God's people, that they still hold the scepter, so to speak. But then for those that believe that the Messiah has come, what does that mean for the rule of those that are in the tribe of Judah? It generates a very interesting discussion in today to know, look, we are looking for the return of the Lord. We're looking for the regathering of the whole house of Israel. Under whose hand, by what law, will that gathering take place? 
Will it be falling under the banner of Judaism, believing they hold the scepter as descendants of the tribe of Judah? Or will it be a group, a multitude of people of Ephraim coming out of the nations that it's under that banner that we will all be gathered? Let me just sort of throw my two cents in there. We will not be gathering, the whole house of Israel will not be gathering under the banner of some man-made religion that we describe as Christianity or of Judaism. We will be gathering under the banner of God Almighty, of the Messiah, the words that he speaks and it will be a stirring of the Holy Spirit in all of us that will cause us to be led to the gathering of the whole house of Israel and to the end of the age so that's my two cents in that sort of discussion when we're talking about the scepter being in the hand of the tribe of Judah the blessings continue on talking of Zebulun that his, he shall dwell by the haven of the sea and shall become a haven for ships we believe this spo- speaks to the territory of Zebulun later on was by the sea this is also where we get much of the symbolism of each of these tribes whenever you see a banner that is made a flag that's ever been made it's kind of a pretty standard practice in the messianic movement that you walk into a new messianic congregation and one of the first things you might notice is there's probably 12 very nice decorative banners hanging around the assembly somewhere there's a lot of congregations that have these and they use some of these symbols and the symbolism to represent the regathering of the whole house of Israel usually with 12 banners so there's a lot of people in the movement that all understand these things I say that to say this is where we get some of this symbolism. Issachar, in verse 14, is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Um, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels, so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Very fascinating blessing for Dan. Dan shall judge his people. It's fascinating because if you go to the book of Judges, there are some of the judges, Samson particularly, came from the tribe of Dan. So many scholars have believed that that's a connection to this, where it says Dan shall judge his people, and judges came forth from the tribe of Dan. Also interesting there in verse 18, where it says, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. That is the first time in all scripture that we see the Hebrew word Yeshua, meaning salvation. Very interesting that that would be put upon Dan, the tribe of Dan. Dan is also one of the tribes that is scattered into the nations, along with the rest of the northern kingdom. And so, that sort, in my mind, I believe that that connects to the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah being gone, being put out into the nations, the testimony going forth into the nations to gather up all of the children of Israel. The tribe of Dan is included in that, and that all the people who are scattered into the nations are waiting for the salvation of God. When will salvation come? We wait for you, O Lord. Well, when a missionary comes along and brings the testimony of Yeshua, that might be the salvation that they've been waiting for. So, uh, again, all of these blessings go to the tribes as they, those that were scattered in the nations. We are still learning to see how these, all this fulfillment takes place. Verse 19, Gad, a troop, shall tramp among him, and he shall be triumphant at last. Some people believe Gad was some of the greatest warriors in all of the tribe of, tribes of Israel. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. I don't know if that means that Asher produced a whole lot of bakers in the history of the tribe. But again, we are always looking for what's the spiritual fulfillment um, of these things. 
Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Now verse 22, let's talk about Joseph. This Now the other long blessing. Well, we had a nice good long blessing for Judah. Now let's read the blessing for Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bough remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father, who will, who will help you, and by the Almighty, who will bless you. With blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound uh, bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Lots of very profound spiritual language in this blessing as well. This obviously connects to, I've already been describing what his sons Ephraim and Manasseh and how they would be blessed, even scattered into the nations, that they will be blessed into a great multitude. And some of this language speaks to that. It also talks about from there, there is a shepherd and there is a stone of Israel. That's talking, of course, about the Messiah and that the Messiah will have a great deal, a great part in the tribes of that come from Joseph. And we believe, like I said, that they've grown into a great multitude of nations. And some people have theorized that even all of the modern Christians that are in today, the, the largest religion in the world that we almost believe or question or wonder, are these the descendants of Joseph that are found here amongst the nations? Now, I don't believe that maybe we all are truly physical descendants, but of course, through the adoption of sons, we all are given equal heir, equal shares to the inheritance that comes from the family of Israel. And so Joseph surely represents this through all of these blessings as well. And it says at the end that he says he was separate from his brothers. Well, we know he was hated by his brothers, and yes, he was separated into Egypt. But he also, all the descendants of Joseph, are separated from his brothers, especially if they are brothers with Judah, with the southern kingdom, with all of those in modern day within Judaism. There's a separation. We, of course, are looking for the regathering of all of the whole house of Israel. And the last blessing goes upon Benjamin, where it says in verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Again, another blessing speaking to the strength of Benjamin and what he represents. And we need to do probably a little more study to truly mean to find out what that means. Did it connect to a certain battle that Benjamin fought or some sort of issue that uh, that came up within the life of the tribe of Benjamin? All of these things, again, are the blessings of Jacob upon his sons at the last at the end of the age. I believe that I look forward to the day in which the all of these words come alive and become even more profound than they are today when we try to relate them to uh, modern history and all history that we can study. Uh, it continues on there to, at the end of chapter 49, after this blessing takes place, it then describes Jacob's death and burial. And it says that he was gathered to his brothers and then he died and that he was then buried back at Machpelah and that they took his body back up to Machpelah and there was a great mourning throughout all the land of Egypt and all the brothers. As soon as that happened, as soon as that took place and he had passed away, Joseph's brothers then immediately were afraid for their own lives. Again, 
they believe that Joseph still held on to his to to the animosity to the wrong that they did to him and they believe that Joseph had not truly forgiven them so they go and it talks about after that they had been um after Jacob had been buried verse 15 of chapter 50 it reads this when Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died they said perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him so they sent messengers to Joseph See, they didn't draw near to him. They still were kind of putting him at arm's distance. There still was the separation. Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did Joseph weep? He wept because he still did not see the spiritual growth in his brothers to know truly what was going on here. Joseph had already forgiven them. He had already told them that he's like, look, don't, don't worry about me. God used me and what you did to me to preserve all life so that we might be preserved. So it's like this was the will of God. This is the blessings that came. And Joseph wept because he, did not, he still did not see that maturation in their brothers that they would send these messengers into question whether he still held animosity against them. <clears throat> Excuse me. It continues on, then his brothers also went, they fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph, he said this, listen to these words in verse 19. Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as if... As it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph is showing this a great this great deal of, of maturation to, to know and understand what God is doing and what God has done for them. There's a great verse cross-reference here in First Peter chapter 4. Um, where it says this at verse 19 and it says therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to be faithful as as to a faithful creator letting those who suffer according to the will of God that is what Joseph looks back on his life and realizes this is what was going on as he was suffering as he was suffering in prison and being a servant and being a slave that he suffered according to the will of God but he understood what God was doing. And God commit their souls to him in doing good. That's what Joseph has learned. And that's what he's trying to teach his brothers. There's also a verse in Isaiah where it talks about when God forgives the iniquity of Israel. That it'll be as if he remembers their sins no more. That he has forgotten even the things that were wrong. Now does that mean forgive and forget? No. Everything is always remembered. But when, it's, when it comes to forgiveness... True forgiveness for what anything that's been wronged of you, to you, you don't, you act as if it never happened. And that is what Joseph is doing. I was telling you about the naming of the sons of Joseph, and he named his first son Manasseh, which means forget, so that he would forget the wrongs of his brother. 
That is the purest fulfillment of Manasseh's, the meaning of Manasseh's name, that Joseph acted as if he had forgotten because he had already forgiven his brothers, because he realized what God was doing. He was surrounded in his will. He was in the place of God, as he said here. Now, you could say that, okay, he was the ruler of the known world, so he was like a god to everybody else in the world. Or, you could read into it that he's saying, I'm in the place of God. I'm exactly where God has put me. I've done all that God, God, I'm surrounded in his will and he is leading me and guiding me and I am in the place of God. That is what true forgiveness is and that's what Joseph represented. Now, to wrap up the very final parallel between Joseph and the Messiah. At the end of the age, when people fall on their face before Messiah Yeshua, they confess all of their sins, they realize all the mistakes that they've done. Even if those were mistakes, they spoke ill of Messiah Yeshua. Anybody that's ever looked and studied and heard of Jesus of Nazareth, but they've scorned him. They've blasphemed his name and they, they didn't believe in him and they rejected him and they cursed him. All of those things. When Messiah Yeshua is revealed at the end of the age to be the true Messiah of Israel... It'll start rolling back in all of people's minds the things that they said about him. The things that they said. And they will be afraid. They will be afraid. They don't want to show their face. They'll send messengers. Is he still mad about that? Because I kind of talked bad about, about Yeshua back in... But now I see now he is the Messiah of Israel. And so they'll be in fear of, uh, of the Messiah and him revealing himself. But you know what he will say? He will say the same thing that Joseph said to his brothers. I will not remember your sins any longer. I have forgiven you. It was because of what was done to me, even in the first century, that all the world might receive eternal life. That all the families of the earth might be blessed. It is by the act of the, of the sacrifice of Yeshua that salvation can be had for the rest of the world. He is in the place of God. He is God. He represents God. He has the power of God. But he is also in the will of God. And everything that has taken place is a plan and a purpose for God's redemption. That's the story of redemption. That's the story of Yeshua and the testimony of him going into the nations, calling the people sons of the living God, and being drawn in to realize that they have a part of the family, the identity, the inheritance, and are heirs to the kingdom of Almighty God. But then we hear that story for the first time here with Joseph. Being scattered into Egypt, being sold into Egypt, but then raised up to be the ruler of the known world with the ability to save that is immeasurable that brought forth living life to all the people and also had a plan and a purpose so that Israel might live and be preserved. That's the story. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the Torah. That's the story of Joseph. If those two things are not connected, if if we somehow move on from our lives and begin to talk about Yeshua without talking about Joseph or teach about Joseph without talking about Yeshua, I truly believe we have missed the point. Because God has done this. He did it before and he will do it again. He's done it physically. He will do it spiritually. And things are done twice because they are established by God. Every dream was happened twice because it was established by God. And because God has done this with Joseph in the ancient times, with his brothers and with Egypt, and because God has done this with Yeshua, it is a thing established by God. And it is the story and the testimony of redemption.
What an amazing blessing that it is that we get to be partakers of that story of redemption. That we get to be heirs to that family. Heirs to the kingdom of God. What an amazing blessing that is. And an honor that it is to study the word and for it to be revealed to us in this way. And be encouraging every time that we study it. Each year. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for your teaching, your instruction. Father, may strength, let us be strengthened as we close out the book of Genesis here. And next week we go into Exodus as you continue the story. For you work in cycles, Lord, so that we might learn your ways and your instruction. So, Father, may we continue to be encouraged by all the blessings that you teach us, for all the stories of old that have been told, and, Father, for the greatest story ever told, Father, the story of redemption through your Son, Yeshua of Nazareth. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. And, Father, may we fall humbly on our faces, pleading with you, Father. And may we understand how you have forgiven us, Lord. But may that not keep us from being humble in all cases, in all situations, Father. Forgive us our sins. Father, we look forward to the great plan of redemption, the great restoration of the whole house of Israel. And may we be caught up in it with Israel and all of Israel's companions that sojourn with Israel. May we all be heirs to the inheritance of the kingdom. We love you, we bless you, and thank you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet V'chayalam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around saying, Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing. Shalom, 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 
Shalom. 